Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Man shall not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. Some takes that as just a statement. It should be taken as a command. Because when I take it as a statement, then all I'm doing is living for a material possession. In other words, it's been said that if you take it as a statement, you're just going to exist. You're not going to live. But if you take it as a command that man don't live by bread, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, then I'll live. Then I can have the Holy Ghost. Then I can have his spirit within me. Then I can be baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, have his anointing, have his guidance. Then I'm not living by bread only. I'm living by every word that proceedeth. And that was a really, I truly believe that's what God was trying to get Israel to see, that you're not living by bread only. You just keep making tracks, Israel. It's not by bread only. I got you in a place that there's nothing else. Look around. It's rocks and sand. You're not going to exist without me. So they just said, keep making laps. I know that's cruel, but just keep making laps because there's fewer and fewer of you. You just keep making laps. So he's telling them, and then he said, and thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord did these 40 years, all the way. God never left them. Even though they angered him, they frustrated him. If frustration is a word you can apply to God, they make him mad, and God said, no, no. Even though you did things that I did not agree with, you sinned against me, but God never left them. He still provided the manna that they had every morning, whether they deserved it or not. God still provided it to them. He was still a comfort to them. He was still the the the, the fire by day and the or the, the cloud by day and the fire by night. He still never left them. He did, and the they, he did this, and he never left them. Even though it was correction, it was correction. God was just let them march. It was correction, but God never left them. He never left them. Now the worst thing that I think that they could have done, and maybe some did do, do this. The Bible says in verse 4, 8 and 4, Thy raiment waxed not all upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these 40 years. Now, if you're in a pleasant place, that doesn't mean much. But if you're in the rocky place they was in, that means a whole lot. And if you don't have no clothes... And your raiment don't wear out for 40 years. That is truly remarkable. God is caring for his beloved. Even though they went wrong. I'm telling you. Even though they went wrong. My point is this. The worst thing Israel could have done. Is to mistake mercy as judgment. They could have said look. We've been here 40 years. You see these clothes I got on. This is what I started with. You see these shoes? 
This is what I started with. If God didn't like me, how come, how come I still have this? A lot of people mistake mercy for judgment. Even in our day. Well, look, look. Look what I'm doing. And look how good God's treating me. You're mistaking mercy for judgment. And they just kept marching. Their clothes still was good. Their feet didn't swell, the Bible says. In other words, God didn't let their feet hurt from walking on the rocky terrain and in the sand. God still took care of his beloved. But when they would get to the point of saying, you know what? God's on our side. Yes, he is. But he's going to let us go into promised land. No. No, he's not. He swore that you're not going in. You're my beloved, but you're not going in. So the worst thing I can do is to do something wrong and think I'm getting by with it. Because if I mistake mercy for judgment, then it's just entirely wrong. It is wrong. Matthew 6 and 11, the Lord is concerned for our needs, our daily needs, our provision. God gives us strength to live in. I think each and every day he gives us hope. And it is just really, um, in studying this, some have said, how can a God that created everything really be so concerned about us? And I'm just thinking, I don't, I don't, I don't get that. How can somebody that, that, I don't believe that was written by no, by no one that has the Holy Ghost, that has a true connection with God. Because when you look at all of humanity, of what all that God went through, look at just the crucifixion. I mean, for we believe, and I don't want to sound cruel here, but I'm telling you, we're apostolic. You don't have to be just point blank cruel, but we shouldn't bite our tongue. We don't believe that no second person came. We believe that God himself, Jehovah, robed himself in human flesh and came. And that itself is the truest definition of love that I know of. And came to this earth and died and was beat and spit on and slapped and said, okay, you're God. Tell me who was it that just slapped you? And went through everything he went through. And then just say, how can God be concerned about us? He is. He loves his children. He loves each and every one of us. Everyone. And gave himself. That is literally why the truest, I think the truest definition of love is God himself. Jehovah. Robing himself in human flesh. And coming to this earth. And giving himself for humanity. To me, that is the truest definition of love. So when God did this, he came, and then he says, he just simply says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, two weeks ago, Brother Boyd stood right here, and then in, in 2 Kings, he was talking about the lady. And the two questions that Elisha asked her, I wrote down, he says, to the lady, what do you need and what do you have? Now, literally, Elisha's asking her, what do you need? What do you need? So she goes through the list and tells him, and it says, what do you have? Now, my point is this. A lot of what we need, 
we have. We already have. Whether you believe it, and I hope by the time I'm done, you believe it. Whether you believe it or not, we have. We have. The prophet asked her, what do you need? And what do you have? So she tells him, now turn with me back to Matthew. Jump back with me to Matthew. Um, let's jump over to Matthew uh, 14. The 14th verse. Excuse me, the 14th chapter. Matthew 14 and 19. This is where he's feeding the 5,000. He tells them, it says, he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and two fishes and looking up into heaven, he blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples unto the multitude. Now, they took, and I believe the Lord just really astonished his disciples. And then he tells them, he says, you know, the disciples basically, they're hungry. And the Lord says, the disciple says, let's just send them away. And he says, no, you give them something to eat. And they're like, you're talking to us? You know, we don't, we don't have the ability. And then he says, what do you have? So he tells them, he tells them what, you know, he says, we just have five loaves and two fishes. So they take what they have and they bring it to the Lord. And I remember the point that I heard that time, and I've never forgot it, where it says they took what they have, they brought it to the master, and the only way it could be multiplied is to be broke in the master's hand. Because the Bible says that he took and he blessed and he broke it. And, and the point was, is everybody wants a blessing, but nobody wants to be broke. And it says the only way that we can have a blessing is to be broke. And he took five loaves and two fishes. That which people would have just drop kicked to the curb. And he says, bring it to the master. And when I allow myself to be broke, he says, the only way that this is going to work, first we got to take it to the Lord. And then he says, if you will allow yourself to be broke, then you can take and feed a multitude. So he takes it and he takes it to the Lord. And they do this. And the, the, the truest thing of this in verse 16, I don't think I give this to him. But in verse, in verse, in chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus said unto them, they need not depart. There's the kicker. The disciple says, you know what? Just get rid of them. We can't do this. There's too many of them. We can't accomplish this task. And Jesus tells them, there's no reason for them to go away. You're looking at it wrong. Take what you have. Bring it to me. And I think the disciples is probably thinking, there's just no way we can do this. We only have five loaves and two fishes. Have you looked out there and seen how many heads they are? Bring what you got to me. And Jesus tells them, they need not depart. For who are we? When somebody comes to us, spiritually speaking, someone comes to this church and we just tell them we can't help you. And God in the Spirit says, they need not depart. Don't let nobody come here and then leave thinking, we got to send them away. We've got the truth. We have the authority. We have the Holy Ghost. We have the power. 
And if we ever stand here saying that we have to send you away, we are wrong. We are wrong. God told his disciples they need not depart. There's no reason. I am wrong if I look at it like they have to leave. I am just wrong. God himself said they need not depart. And they're still saying we can't do this. There's too many of them. We don't have enough. And he just says, bring it to me. And it just kept multiplying in his hand. And then he said, they need not depart. Don't let someone come in here and us with our attitude. You might as well go somewhere else. Absolutely not. Under the authority of the Holy Ghost, we have what it takes. God said, they need not depart. We have it. We have, we have the authority under the Holy Ghost. We are anointed. We are anointed under the Holy Ghost. And God himself, I believe, really and truly, we just, from human terms, and not a rock against this, against them, from just human, looking at it through human eyes, you can hold in one hand, and they're looking at a multitude. I can't do this. And God said, that's okay. Give it to me. Let me break it. And as it's broke, little by little, little by little, the multitude starts eating. And then the Bible says, they sit down, they did all eat, and gets this, only God can do this. And they were filled. So don't let nobody come in this house and leave and not be filled. Because if they do, I'll leave you out of it. I'll just say, I'm not doing my job. I'm not doing my job. Now, in Romans, turn with me to Romans. I think it was Brother um, Osborne quoted this. And verse 3, but I'm going to read 1 through 3. And don't check out on me because I want to get you to try to see this in a little bit different light. The only way I can, only way I can share this way is, is from a way I've worked in construction most of my life and, and dealt with numbers. So I just want to try to see you to look at it from a different point of view. Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, by, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, verse 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, when you look at this, this, when you read on down a little bit, we find that it's dealing with spiritual gifts, and he's telling, or just gifts, you, 
you know, I don't think spiritual gifts is wrong, but he's dealing with the gifts. So he tells us in verse 3, Paul, the apostle in his writing, for I say through, through their grace or through the gift, through the anointing given unto me, Paul is saying, through the grace given unto me, to every man, and I think man could be, I don't think saint, I'm too far out on a limb to say, so don't, don't think this is gender here. To every saint that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now, if you have been given a gift, the apostle is saying, don't think I'm here and you're here. For every man not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. In other words, as we would say in the country, don't get puffed up on yourself. But, and then he says, really and truly, I believe that's what he's saying. But that's just country talk. But he's saying, I believe that's what he means. That's just me. I'll leave you out of it. That's just me. To every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now, but to think soberly. According as God has dealt to every man the measure of of faith now when Mr. Townsend was building this pulpit here there's just you, you measure things I, I'm on a, you measure and then when you come to something like this here and it turns that's just called a miter you're just changing an angle and then when it's slanted in like that, that's just referred to as a compound miter. So it just comes, and he takes, and I don't know if you've ever noticed, but if you like woodwork, it's just the first time I've ever seen it, I noticed it when you come in and the wood, and he used the same board. It comes in, and you see the grain of the wood still falling around. That's just me. I notice stuff like that. But he comes in, and this measurement is taken, now, the only, the only reason that you measure something is because you want it accurate. He don't just say, oh, it's about 23 and 7 eighths and get it close. No, you measure something because you want it accurate. So he takes, he builds this, it's accurate. And then he takes and he does this, and just everything you do, everything, you, whatever you're measuring, you know enough about measuring something, um, you don't want it close. If, if, unless, unless you're doing whatever, I don't know of nothing that's just get it close, you know. If not, it's got that get it close look when you're done. But when you measure something, you want it accurate. So he takes, now... I'm going to read one verse. You don't have to turn if, if you don't want to. You can just read on the screen. And this is, this is my point. In Genesis, I'm sorry, Brother Corrin. Um, Genesis 1 and 11. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind whose seed is in itself. Upon the earth... And it was so. Now, as the old saying, 
whose seed is in itself. God loved humanity so much. Now I'm going to speak naturally here. That God said for the continuation of man, the plants that he created, as we would say, was, was made mature. So the seed that they had was to produce another plant for the continuation, not of the plant, of humanity. So he takes in the fruit trees, the first ones that made was, was made mature, the beginning. It had to start somewhere, so God made them mature. So he made this, and he says, he made all of this, and then he says, for, uh, fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself. Now, he did that all for humanity. He said, whose seed is in itself. Now, what I want you to, that was natural. Now, I want you to think spiritually with me. So he says, God has measured or God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, if you ever get to the point or if you know someone that just simply says, my faith faith is gone. If it's daylight, you take them outside. You take a pebble and you just flip it up in the air. And when it hits the earth, that's where you start. You tell them thousands of years ago, Yahweh spoke that into existence, but your faith was measured by God himself. That right there is Tyson and Rosalie Rayleigh. As much as God loves them, he wouldn't even entrust them to put the faith into me. God himself measured the faith that I have. God himself measured the faith that you have. So therefore, if it's dark or if it's nighttime, go outside. Just look up in the heavens. All of that was spoken to existence. But God said, I won't even do that when it comes to your faith. I will exactly measure it unto you. Your faith is not just spoken to you. It is measured into you. It is measured exactly into you. And we think, you know, that is why we, we go along and we think, you know, my faith is weak. At times the scripture tells us where God has told them, uh, uh, where is your faith or you have no faith? That's a perfect example of what life does to us. The examples that's been done for years, when the sun is shining, is it cloudy? Well, is the sun still shining? Absolutely, yes, it's still shining. So don't give, don't give the circumstances of life credit for taking away your faith. It cannot do it. For if God himself can just speak something to existence and thousands of years later it's still going, the sun still comes up, the sun still sets, rocks still fall back to the earth, but something's going to destroy my faith, it can't happen. It cannot happen. God himself has dealt to every man the measure of faith. And the only way, the only way that that can happen is for me to go, what? What does the Bible say? Reprobate. That is the only way that that can happen. And that is extreme. That is you to just go so far to the point that you just literally tell God, basically, take it out. Take it out. But God himself says, I have dealt to every man the measure of faith. It just won't happen. It just will not happen. I have one I really believe that is just, people is just, 
circumstances of life crowd in on us, weigh us down, and just life hits us and knocks us to our knees, and then we just come to church and we just think, you know, oh, I just don't feel it. Oh, don't, don't judge me harsh. But quit making feelings a benchmark and go back to making this the benchmark. Because the Bible says that God has dealt to you the faith that you need. And when, and when he has dealt to us the faith that we need, nothing can rob that. Nothing can rob that. Nothing is that strong. Nothing is that powerful. We himself, the Bible tells us the enemy comes for what? Kill, steal, and destroy. That's it. The enemy knows he cannot rob you of your faith. If he tells you you're weak in the faith, I have just piled all these trials and tribulations on you to destroy your faith. Well, that's all he's doing. He's just tricking your mind. He had not took your faith. He cannot take your faith. God himself imparted that faith into you and nothing by no means can take that faith. And I just refuse to allow Satan the privilege of convincing me that he has my faith when he does not have my faith. God himself dealt that faith to me and there's nothing, nothing, God himself has dealt to every man. He has measured the faith that each and every one of us need. It is not entrusted to genetics. You did not get this from your family. You did not inherit it. It's not part of your heritage. God himself would not leave this and trust this to no one else. No one else. No one else is entrusted to this. God himself gave this to you. At your weakest point in your life, if you do feel weak in the faith, you get this book and you read this 12.3. God himself has dealt to every man the measure of faith. It's there. It ain't never left. I don't care what we feel like, and just pardon me for saying it like that. God has not left. His word is true. He will not change. He is no respecter of persons, and he has given unto us his word. And he says, man shall not live, uh, live by bread alone, but what? Every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So therefore we do have this. The faith that God put in us. And we do have it. And everything that God has put in order is still in order. And what amazes me, this was just spoken into existence. And God said, I won't even entrust it to that. But your faith, my beloved, I will measure I will measure when it comes to the faith that I'm going to give you. For I fully believe that is why Paul can stand and say that we're more than conquerors, knowing that God himself is the one that measured your faith. God himself measured the faith that we have. Don't give the enemy credit when he don't deserve it. God spoke so much into being. God himself is the one that measured this faith that we have. Now... Nothing can happen. Nothing can happen. I just love in Second Peter 3 doing what, uh, I mean, just the way I am about time. I mean, I just, I really, time has always intrigued me. And I just really love this. And it's just, you really have to be careful of pulling one verse out of the middle of something. And this is what I'm doing. But this verse is referring to, this, the Lord coming back, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to pull it out anyway. Um, 2 Peter 3, 8. 
but beloved be not ignorant and don't be and and don't be um offended by that that just means do not forget uh of this one thing that one day is with the lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day boy if there's one scripture i love is that just we relate so much all we can do is just relate it in human terms and things that we want to see in the Lord and things that we just want to see in our life, we just, all we can do is relate it in human terms. We just look at a calendar and we just have to mark it on a calendar and think, you know, if it don't happen within this date, then it's over. And then God comes along with a scripture like this and it just says, my beloved, time is only relative to you. And to prove that, one day can be a thousand years or just a thousand years is one day. Time means nothing to me. So don't let time lock you into its mold. I'm God. I'll do whatever I want to. When it comes to you and what I have promised you, don't let time lock you into something. For If I have put a faith in you and put promises and instill hope in you and you think, well, I'm past this. No, you're not. No, you're not. Time is only relative to us. We, we are the ones, or I am the one that looks so much at time. And I just love that when God just, to me, that really puts it in perspective. God said, you know what I want to think about time? Here's what I think about time. Time means nothing to me. Time literally means nothing to me. And we just look at it from a temporal point of view. And God looks at it from an eternal point of view. And we're thinking, you know what? If this don't happen, if this don't happen this year, I don't never see it happening. Really? Really? Are we talking about the everlasting God? <laughs> really? No. Let's change our way of thinking. I don't care if it's over and gone. We always talk about that window of opportunity. God will make a way. I don't care if there's not even a hole in the wall. <laughs> I mean, he's the God of the impossible. I mean, he'll do it. He'll do it. He'll do it. Now, I'll end with this. Turn back with me to um, where I started in Matthew, the sixth chapter. This is some more that the Lord the Lord just sums up in the sixth chapter. And I'll read when you go on down. The first one I'm gonna read is twenty five, and I just want you to read the the common theme in these passages. In verse 25, in, in chapter 6 of verse 25, says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you, what you shall put on. It's not life more than meat. It's not the body more than raiment. Now, uh, 28, And while you take thought for raiment, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
Now, 31, and then I'll read to the end. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need. He knows you. He knows our needs. He knows our needs of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, take no thought for tomorrow, or morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now he said, take no thought. Other words, I just put in anxious and anxious anxiety. In other words, don't be overly concerned. Now, it is the thought here that is forbidden. Just the very thought of it. He said, don't even, don't even be thinking about this. Don't even be thinking about this. That which torments, that which is distrustful. You know, the what ifs. We could say the what ifs is driving us crazy. What if about this? Or what are we going to do about that? The Lord said, don't get in that frame of mind. Give us this day our daily bread. Be concerned about today. Conquer today. Start the day off. And it's truly in the, in verse 28, I like what he does. He says, and why you take thought for raiment, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Neither do they toil, they toil not, neither do they spin. Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. In other words, he just makes this contrast of which the Lord always does. He just, he takes the wisest and the wealthiest and he just likens it to a field. And to me, what I would get out of that is he just says here, here's Solomon in all his glory. And the way I would look at it is here's a field of which you have nothing invested in. Nothing. Something, nothing you have invested in. And a field of flowers that you have nothing invested in. When your perspective is right, what you're going to value is all the wealth and all the earthly wisdom. And God said, if you do, then you're looking at it wrong. If you will just look at this, this which I allowed to grow and something that you have no control over, of if you just let God be God, I took care of the flowers, I let them grow. And, in, and if, if your perspective is on wealth and, earth, and earthly wisdom, then it's wrong. But God said, in all his glory, he couldn't even compare of that which you have nothing invested in, which is just a field of flowers. God said there's no comparison. You can't even compare it. See what I mean? God is saying you can't even compare it. He said it's all in your perspective of how you look at it from a biblical point of view. So he was saying, do this. God knows our needs and really... Our biggest trouble is tomorrow. What about tomorrow? What are we going to do tomorrow? The future. The future. What are we going to do about the future? And that's why I said, give us this day. Give us this day. And I do believe that we, and, and as I try to do, I'll try not to fit you in my mold. 
but I have come to church and so concerned about issues and stuff and or just be situations and I let the future rob me and how many times have I come to church and God said I wanted to touch you today but when I went to you today your tomorrow had you consumed I wanted to touch you today I wanted to anoint you today but your tomorrow had you consumed and if you would let go of tomorrow you know it's truly, I mean, we, we must remember the past, plan for the future, but by all means, we have got to live in the present because that's where God's going to touch us and deal with us and anoint us is right here, right now in the present. That's what God's going to do. For he takes and he says, take no thought for tomorrow. There's going to be enough evil of itself when tomorrow comes. When you look at it from a biblical point of view, let God take care of tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Give us this day our daily bread because you do have the faith. I don't care if you feel it or not because I'm going with what the book says. And the book says this faith has been measured unto us and nothing, nothing can override that. Nothing can override that. So that's what I'm going to go with. So we have that. We have that seed within. And that seed within is going to make us victorious, give us the strength, and just give us hope when there is no hope. Because that's why Paul can say, we are more than a conqueror. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.